right, a question to start off the day. And yeah, always make sure if you have a question, uh, either in the midst of our study or even afterwards, if you just want to email me, please, I can both email you the answer and we can talk about it next week. Uh, the question that was asked is, what is an Asherah pole? It's mentioned both in the story within our scripture text. It's one of the Bible verses that I brought up today. It was basically a, a false god that was set up. Uh, this particular um, false god was very phallic in nature. This particular uh, idol was one that people practiced uh, temple worship that would involve uh, prostitutes and different elements of the sort. Uh, it was a very negative uh, shadow that was cast among the people of, of God, a very detestable form of worship. Uh, it was something that was set up uh, in different realms uh, among the people, and unfortunately they even, uh, I think this verse refers to it being in the temple even, and so think about that. In God's house, this is uh, being set up. You know, you think about uh, even just our own home sanctuary here, of the ways we try to take care of it, we try to honor it, we try to make sure that we're being respectful in all things, and uh, how disrespectful that was to God's house, to be able to have that as a part of their worship. And again, it shows how far uh, people went one way or another. It basically just looks like a gigantic pole, usually carved into it, it would be some type of a a nude statue or some type of a phallic piece a lot of, a lot of times. So, yeah, good question, because I don't know if I would brought that in. All right, let's get started then looking at chapter 17 for the day. Uh, if you have heard the message or have not yet heard the message, either way, uh, Pastor Mark does a great job of being able to break down the prophet Jeremiah and really tell his story. Uh, however, that's only one piece of chapter 17. Of a lot of the chapters we've looked at so far, this chapter is probably uh, one that is spread out quite a bit. Uh, if you could see on there, I put the scriptures that are covered. I won't read them because they come from multiple different books. They're kind of all over the place. Uh, the story of Jeremiah, one of the prophets that's brought up, and then, of course, some of his writings in the book of Lamentations, a book of, it's right there in the title, Lamenting to God. Uh, the other prophet that we have is the one, the choir, if you were here in the first service, did a beautiful job singing the song about uh, the prophet Ezekiel. And so we hear his story today, uh, also written in here. Uh, we'll cover that just briefly of him being able to prophesy, as God tells him, to these dry bones and have this vision of them uh, coming to life. But let's just start uh, in the very beginning of chapter 17. Today, for our method, I'm just going to start in the beginning of 17 and just work our way all the way through, because there's just a lot of different little details, hard to cover uh, in a sermon. Uh, that's why Pastor Mark really just focused on the story of Jeremiah. And so one that will kind of be spread out, but hopefully it gives us some good explanation, because I know even for me, just reading through the story of chapter 17, it's kind of hard to keep the pieces in place, the different names and the different stories. It flows together well, but it's kind of hard to capture what's actually happening. So let's start at the very beginning. Remember, as we heard um, the last couple weeks, the tribes, the 12 tribes have split. There's 10 in the northern region. There's two in the southern 
typically referred to as the Israelites, and then also referred to as uh, the people of Judah. The Syrians come in, take out the northern tribe. Then we have another attack. The Syrians try to come in and take out Judah, the two tribes. But remember, uh, God sends the angel of the Lord to come down to wipe out the army, and they are saved at least for that amount of time. However, even though the people have seen this happen, they've seen God send this angel to be able to save them, they still uh, get caught in this trap of not necessarily following the Lord. Remember the king at that time uh, is paired up with the prophet Isaiah we talked about last week, and they're both going to God to be able to get counsel for him, to take their problems to him. He saves them, but both of these individuals obviously get older and they pass away. And so when King Hezekiah from last week dies, our story opens up for today. And so I'll even just look, it's right out of the very first piece of the story of chapter 17, and it's our first verse on our uh, handout here when it says the beginning, 2 Kings 21 verse 1. It says Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. So Manasseh is the son of Hezekiah. That typically is how uh, the kingdom reign got handed down. Whoever the, the son was that was next in line received this. And so today Hezekiah dies and his son Manasseh takes over as being king of all the people. Did you catch how old he is? Oh, man. You know a child in your life that's 12 or around this age, right? You know a boy that's 12 around this age, right? Think about trusting them with anything. Anything. A pair of scissors, taking the dog out to use the restroom, being able to clean their, their bathroom, any of those things. How does that go? Now, you've put the entire kingdom in their hands. They can do anything. They're the king. They get whatever they say goes. Nobody can refute it. Mom's not there to say, no, you've been a bad king today. No, he gets to decide whatever he wants. And this is very unfortunate for the people because uh, if you see there, the next verse that comes down, uh, 2 Kings 21 verse 2, it says, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He is not uh, a good God-pleasing king. He is one that uh, doesn't do that. And he, as he gets older, falls into these traps of really going after evil. Uh, you can see a couple of notes that I made there under that Second Kings passage. He rebuilds all the places that his father destroyed. Remember Hezekiah, being a good king, uh, tries to put everybody back on track of worshiping the one true God, and he tears down all the false altars that have been created. He's really focused on uh, worshiping the Lord in all things. He gets rid of idolatry. So his son shows up and says, I'm going to rebuild all of these things again. Uh, he is so evil. To give you a little note here, he sacrifices his own son to one of these false gods. Think about how evil and misled that truly is. Not just somebody random in your kingdom, as horrible as that would be, 
but uh, your son being able to say, I'm going to sacrifice him. Same thing, the Asherah pole that's put there in the, the temple, and I already kind of described that a little bit. He does everything in the face of going against God, and it's a, it's a dark time for the people because the people begin to follow them. Uh, that's the result. Whatever the leadership is, there is this trickle-down, and we should remember that in our world too, both in church realms and also in worldly realms, that there is a trickle-down from leadership to the people. The result, 2 Kings 21 verse 9, says, but the people did not listen, talking about the prophets. Manasseh led them astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. So it's not even just talking about the Israelites, it's saying the people that were so evil that came and attacked the Israelites, the people of Israel actually became more detestable than them. They became more evil than even they were. And wouldn't you know it, they continued to follow this. Remember, this is in the short reign. He reigns for 55 years. So it is a, over a half of a century that people are led down this, this horrible, horrible path. But remember, as we heard in our message today, God always has a plan. He's never absent. He's always there. And so the Lord steps in in our Second Chronicles passage, beginning at verse 10. It says, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner. He put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. So they're taking him as, as prisoner, kind of as this war trophy. That's the hook in the nose and being able to lead him through the town so everybody can see. Verse 12, in his distress, talking about Manasseh, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. So this guy's always done everything wrong, everything bad, but... He finally gets the screws put to him, and wouldn't you know it, God, save me. God, now I'm, I'm listening. Remember me, God? Come and, and, and help me out. And this probably isn't just Manasseh, right? It's a, probably a good representation of us, just as people in general in the world, for Christians and people who are non-Christians. It's amazing how fast a non-Christian seems to call out to God in the moment of desperation, there is something built into us. This isn't me thinking uh, or guessing about this. This is, you know, within the scriptures that God puts his, his law and his word upon our hearts, that we know what is right, that we know what is wrong, that we know deep down that there is this master creator, that there is one who has his hand over the world, but do we choose to be able to accept that and to know that? And sometimes it's in those moments of desperation when we see people reaching out. This is not the time to find faith in our lives, but sometimes it is a way that people get called back to God. Continuing at verse 13, it says, And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to 
his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. How interesting. God uses this period in this individual's life to be able to, to turn him. He knows that the Lord is God. I don't know what Manasseh's eventual fate is for his eternal heavenly home or not, but it's interesting that God, again, uses this time to be able to call somebody forward, even somebody who has been so horrific. And when he does this, Manasseh isn't just making a pledge to God vocally or just in his own head. He actually begins to put everything he has to work. Uh, I mentioned a few of the things here that happened because of this calling back. He rebuilds the outer wall of the city of David. Remember, they had been attacked and everything had been torn down. So he begins to rebuild the city. He stations military commanders uh, in all the fortified cities of Judah. So he begins to be able to strengthen them. He gets rid of the foreign gods and removes the images from the temple of the Lord as he restored the altar of the Lord and he sacrificed thank offerings on it. So all those things that he set up, he tears them all down, and he puts them back up to be able to uh, recognize who the Lord truly is and to be able to offer sacrifices to him. And finally, he told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. What a 180 this individual pulls, or more importantly, what a 180 uh, God does in his life. Similar story probably to an individual like Paul, right? Saul is on this road to Damascus to be able to persecute and to be able to uh, imprison, uh, potentially kill Christians. God stops him and says, you are going to be my chosen individual. He blinds him literally by the light and he turns him into Paul, this one who then does, does good for the Lord. Uh, this is great reasoning in our life to never give up on anyone, even at the later stages of their life, even people who seem super evil in our eyes or bad in our eyes, to constantly pray for those individuals, to constantly share who Jesus is in our life, because we never know when the Holy Spirit is going to arrive and do that 180 in somebody's life. We should never doubt the power of God to be able to change anyone. Remember, he loves all people. God loves all people. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how evil you are. He doesn't love us more than he loves anybody else who is not here today and is doing detestable things in the world. He loves us both equally. But he does call us to be able to be the messenger to people in the world so that he can use them for good. In this chapter, the message of kings uh, really flows. There's a whole bunch of different kings that just kind of get thrown in there. Remember uh, last week I was talking about that there's many, many kings uh, that come. Most of them are evil. And so here's just a little quick recap of the kings that are mentioned in chapter uh, 17. We have Ammon that's there. He reigns just for a couple years. An uh, evil guy, he ends up being assassinated. Josiah becomes king. Look at this one. Yeah. Eight. Eight. I mean, 
I tried to build Lego like structures with kids that are eight before. It keeps their interest for about a minute and 30 seconds. Imagine that, an eight-year-old now is leading you, but this eight-year-old actually ends up being God-honoring. He is, he is brought up, and he is one of the very few, like literally probably five of the kings that are in this whole mess that are actually God-honoring. Uh, he becomes a king, and he's there for 31 years, so that's a nice reign that they have. Uh, and then right down the line, we have a few more that continue to come. Smaller reigns, a couple there that are only three months in their reign, and then one that's uh, 11 years. Again, usually it's just passed down from father to son, different individuals, and these are people that try to help the people navigate, but there's a lot of evil that happens during this time. And so it's the people of Israel that are constantly falling to these temptations of honoring these other gods. And this is why God sends both Jeremiah and Ezekiel to be able to talk to the people and to be able to uh, show them his word. All right, I'm going to flip over to the backside. Uh, it's this point in which Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, marches against Jerusalem. This is Judah's last stronghold. And he pillages the temple and takes all the people into exile. This is the story that you just heard or will hear uh, in our sermon. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah being able to say, hey, this is what's, what's happening. Uh, God is going to be able to uh, allow these people to come in to be able to uh, be these individuals that are going to take over because of the evil that is happening in the kingdom. Among these people is uh, Ezekiel. He gets this vision that talks about exactly that. So both Jeremiah and Ezekiel are saying the same thing. Uh, hey, there's going to be a really bad consequence to be able to pay. And they should be saying the same thing. They're getting the same message from the, from the Lord. Uh, remaining among the people that is not taken into exile is Jeremiah. He's this younger uh, prophet, but he's really, uh, he's got a big heart. He's called the weeping prophet. He's always uh, focused on the people, and he feels this big burden. Uh, he's very vocal in foretelling God's mercy that it'll never fail. That's that popular passage of Jeremiah 29, verse 11. But uh, just as we heard uh, today, or again, we'll hear, the people just don't listen. They just don't. And this is easy for us to be able to read or look back on and say, why don't the people listen? God has done so much for them over time. And then we look at ourselves and say, why don't the people listen? God has done so much for them over all of time. And uh, I said it a few weeks ago, and I'll say it again today, we can't... Uh, underestimate the power of sin in our world and in our lives. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough one for all of us at all points. It, it doesn't take a break. It's, it's always next to you. It's always pulling at you. It, it's, it's something we can't get rid of in our lives. Even when God tells us that we are pure and that we're wiped clean, when he looks at us, those temptations are still sitting all around us or even like in us, right? And it's so hard to be able to come up against that and to be able to flee every time. All of us get tripped up. But this is the message that 
uh, God says, well, this is why I'm giving you these prophets of a message that is uh, yet to come through a blessing that eventually will take all of this away. So as the people continue on, uh, that next scripture verse there, uh, Zedekiah is the next one that becomes king, again an evil king. I probably should have just wrote good next to the one good king. All the other ones, they're basically evil, all of them. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, so you can figure that out, October 10th, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. So it's now it's not just the Assyrians that have taken power. The ba- Babylonians uh, have a lot of power now, too. They encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. I talked a little bit about this last week in our sermon, how a lot of the attack uh, ideas to be able to go to a city and take it over was to siege the whole city, to be able to cut off any type of water or food supply as best as possible, and to basically just wait it out. And this didn't always just happen over a few days. You know, a lot of times a big city like that, they would have leftover stuff. They would have, you know, a lot of different supplies that were still in the city. Uh, They would get by on the smallest amount that they could. They would try to wait it out. Maybe they would be able to get a well somewhere in the city and have a small supply of water for a certain amount of time. So this siege goes on for like 18 months that the people are basically trapped in there, and sure enough, they come to a point where there's famine. There's nothing for them to be able to to eat. Uh, They don't know what to do. They're trapped in there. Uh, So now Zedekiah and his advisors come to Jeremiah, and they plead for him. Isn't this the same story we just heard? They they, they stuck, right? So finally, they don't even do it at the very beginning. The, The famine is hit. They're stuck. They're surrounded. Go to God on our behalf. However, the Lord tells them that uh, due to their sin, they will fall. Zedekiah's sons are all killed. Uh, Zedekiah, they gouge out his eyes. Uh, Most of the people are taken into captivity, and they leave some behind to be able to work the fields so that area is not going to waste, and they can be able to uh, get profit from there somehow. And so here's uh, God's message upon their return uh, from Ezekiel 36. It says, therefore say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name. And the things that he's talking about is eventually being able to save the people. Which you have profaned among all the nations where you have gone. I will show you the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, uh, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. If you remember last week and the several weeks before that, same thing. It's, it's the same message, right? Uh, it's not only that the people are crying out to God in their last moments of desperation. It's a God who is always answering his people to be able to lift them up and to be able to strengthen them, but not for them, right? Every single one of these times when God is showing up, the same thing happened 
in our chapter last week, God says the same thing. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name. And then down there at the bottom, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. God's salvation or rescuing of his people is always so his name may be lifted up. This isn't just a blessing that we receive or the people of Judah or Israel receive from God. It's something that God offers so that people will know that he is God. I like that in our chapter today and all of the days because it really shows that the focus should always be upon God. And anything that happens in our life to be able to give glory to God, those are opportunities for you and I to be able to share who the Lord is with people around us. And not just the times that we celebrate, but even in the moments of despair or trial, that we still have a hope to be able to hold on to because God has a plan for each and every one of us. As the chapter comes to an end, we see that amazing uh, piece of imagery of God telling Ezekiel, you know, prophesy to these dry bones. Again, choir did such a good job today in that song of being able to put them together. The Valley of Dry Bones, verse seven, or 13, says, Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. Same message, right? You will know that I am the Lord when I do these things. And what an amazing choice of words, not accidental, by our Lord. He is going to open up our graves and bring them forth. This is the same message that Jesus tells us will happen for you and for me. You see, that's the the end result, this whole story of restoration, that at the final days, God promises to be able to open up all of those graves and to be able to pull us forth. Why? So that we will be able to give praise still to him that day, so that all people will know that he is God. And so for the people of Israel or Judah or for you and I, We all have this wonderful opportunity to be able to look forward to that time, but to know that we live in that hope now. In the story of the people of Israel, they said that 70 years are going to go by before you are saved. For us, who knows what that time period looks like, that we are here on this earth and we battle against all these different sins. But we always remember that God has hope for us, that he will pull us from that grave, just as he pulled his son from that grave, as he promised three days later to be able to give salvation for you and salvation for me. Let's close there today because I've got to run over to the other service. Uh, Let's wrap up in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity again to be here uh, today and to hear your word and to be able to just know about the mouthpieces you have used through prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And Lord, we ask that you allow us to fulfill that same role here on earth. Give us courage and strength and by your spirit the right words and actions to be able to share with people around us who you are and what you have done so that everybody will come to know that you are the Lord, our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.